Hello, and welcome to Don't Ignore the Elephant, the podcast where we talk about the stuff that no one else will, the elephant in the room. I'm Liz O'Riordan. I'm a breast cancer surgeon with breast cancer, and during my career, I've had a lot of elephants to deal with. I've learned that talking about them, getting them out in the open, can help you know that you're not alone. Whether it's cancer or other illnesses, mental health issues, sexual problems, bullying, harassment, or the death of a loved one, there are loads of things that can be hard to discuss. I know how powerful it can be to hear someone else talk honestly about their own problems. Some of my guests have lived these experiences, whilst others have dedicated their lives to helping those who have. I'm going to be chatting to them about it and asking the questions everyone else is too afraid to ask. In this episode, we'll be talking about divorce, how to cope if it happens to you, should you stay friends with your ex, and how to relaunch your career in later life. How do we talk more openly about divorce? Nearly half of all marriages end in it, and millions of children are affected by it, and yet even today, it's still surrounded by stigma, shame and taboo. My guest this week has been through it in public. Jane Garvey almost needs no introduction. After launching Radio 5 Live, she then spent 13 years at the helm of Woman's Hour on Radio 4. She now spends her days chatting about the chuff of life with her co-host Fee Glover on the soul-warming podcast, Fortunately. She's shown that there is a demand for simple, honest female conversation and friendship. Jane went through her divorce in the spotlight and she describes adjusting to life as a single parent with humour and honesty in her and Fee's new book, Did I Say That Out Loud? Welcome, Jane, to Don't Ignore the Elephant. Uh, thank you very much, Liz. It's very nice to uh, to be able to talk to you. Thank you for coming on. And I wanted to start by first talking about how the word divorce makes us feel. Because my husband was divorced with a child from his first marriage when I met him, and I automatically excluded him as a potential partner because he had baggage. <laughs> what did you think about divorce before it happened to you? I don't think I'd ever given it very much thought. My mum and dad are still married. Uh, they've been married mm -hmm. for nearly 60 years. There, there is divorce in the family, though not directly linked to my immediate nuclear family. So... And to be honest, the divorce that did happen in my family, which I probably can't really talk about because it's nothing to do with me, um, was yeah. in the 1970s. And I remember how upset everybody was about it. It was I was very young at the time, but it was a, mm. a huge drama and um, much discussed. And I remember thinking, oh, this sounds this sounds like something <laughs> you'd do better to avoid if you possibly can. Yes. Did you see yours coming? Did I see mine coming? Oh, I think, I mean, to be honest, it's a long time ago and I'm yeah. not, I can't entirely remember. I think if two broadcasters marry each other, then, yeah, I think necessarily you should imagine you'll probably get divorced. <laughs> Why think, do you think that is? Well, I mean, I've, in fact, I've, I've written one of the chapters in in the book I've written with Fee um, is, you know, I, I don't think people who choose broadcasting as a career are entirely normal. We're needy, you know. We're incredibly needy, yep. and I think we want we want we want attention. We seek attention, and when you've got two people doing the same thing for a living, then and then of course you throw a couple of young children into the mix as well. It was never going to be a particularly easy ride. And I should say, my divorce was really it was that it was basically two ego maniacs married to each other. And I think that's just one of those things that I'm more than happy to acknowledge. There was no terrible trauma on, you know, in, involved in it. And nobody was being outrageously cruel to anybody else, thank goodness. And I actually now realise 
how incident-free my divorce was, really, when I think about it. The only thing that made it a little more challenging than it might always be, and I do think it always is, is that um, my ex-husband was on television at the time and a lot. Yeah. And so, and he was genuinely really well known at that time. This is in the 2007, 2008. So it's a long time ago yeah. now. And, you know, he was very much a, a national figure. And I just started doing Woman's Hour on Radio yeah. 4. And Woman's Hour is one of those programmes that even if you've never heard it, you've heard of it on the whole. And so, yeah, we were both, I suppose, relatively, you know, in a very small, I was in a very small way, relatively well known. And he was really well known at the time. Yeah, it must have been really hard going through it in public. I know you write about kind of in your book how curious we all are when the celebrities affairs are spread all over the tabloids. How did it feel when you were one of those celebrities? Well, I don't. I I still can't see well, myself as as a celebrity, but uh, no, not uh, really. Well, I, I, I'm more than happy to acknowledge that I'm very interested in other people's uh, calamities, uh, marital or otherwise. So I, I think I'd be really, really hypocritical if I were to complain about it happening to me. Which isn't to say that I enjoyed it when it did. I actually mm. had the, the classic uh, scenario on the. I think it was the day the divorce was made final. Uh huh. And I had gone to, my kids were still at primary school, so I'd gone to the primary school to collect them from school. And I'd also picked up a couple of mates' kids as well, as you know, you often do at primary school. You often have somebody coming back for a play date or something. So I had about four or five kids with me. And I was walking down the road. And I always remember I was wearing a Bowden dress for some reason. I think I'd, right. done, I'd done woman's hour that day, so I was sort of relatively smart. And somebody shouted Jane really loudly at me um, just as I was uh -huh. about to go into the house. And I turned round and it was a photographer. Oh, God. And I, but I was such a muppet to have responded. I should just have ignored it. Yeah. I knew the divorce was, was coming out, was being made final that day. Uh, and so I probably should have expected it. So there's a there's a sort of terrible photograph of me with my mouth hanging open, yeah. wearing a not especially flattering dress and surrounded by loads of kids and carrying about 17 anoraks, none of which were mine. So, yeah, that was I mean, that was a bit. But, you know, in the great scheme of things, far worse things have happened to so many people before and indeed since. So I don't want to bellyate too much about it because also I chose to be a broadcaster, too. And you don't choose that if you don't want people to take notice of you, I'm afraid. You've, and you've got to admit it. Is there any advice you give to other people whose divorce is in the public eye? How do you cope when you do have journalists and photographers stalking you? Honestly, I've got to be honest, Liz. In my case, I think stalking is too, would be too strong a word. I mean, I got, interestingly, I got letters from some newspaper groups very polite, just asking mm -hmm. if I would like to speak to them. Oh, OK. And I said no, and they never bothered me again. Only one newspaper was incredibly persistent, and I think probably it, it won't take a huge leap of imagination. No. <laughs> uh, to, it was the, the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday. But what everybody who might find themselves in this position needs to know is that you don't need to speak to anyone. There's no, there's no obligation to share your heartache with people who don't know you. You can just say, no, thank you. And as I say, the vast number of, um, not the vast number, the, the overwhelming majority of people who took any interest in what was happening were more than happy to accept it when I just said, no, I really, I will never, ever do that kind of interview because it's just not me. And also I could never see who it could benefit. Exactly. Because Except, it's also personal and private, isn't it? Well, yes, of course. But then, I've, again, I must be honest, would I have read the interview I'm, I didn't give, if you see what yep. I mean, had I not and been I me? Would have. 
yeah, and I would have. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what does that say? Um, I know. We're women. It's awful, isn't it? Well, we're people. I don't, I, we are. I, and I think, but you did say women, and I think that's quite significant. I think women are always too hard on each, often too hard on themselves and very often too hard on each other too. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think yeah. we, we've all got to own our own hypocrisy here. Exactly. I think what you said, it's really interesting about being married to someone who is also a presenter. And again, I'm a, I was a consultant surgeon married to a consultant surgeon. There you go. Just uh, as bad, I'm afraid. I know it is. You know, we're both you never see each other. It's that power balance. And did you ever blame your career or how successful you both were as a factor in it? I think I, I would certainly point to the fact that Adrian was incredibly, incredibly busy. And I had always wanted children. Yeah. And I I thought before I had them that I knew what it was like to look after children. And of course, I didn't know at all. I had no yeah. idea. And it's, as anyone who's ever done it will know, it's time consuming. It's all consuming. You are exhausted. And I speak as as the very fortunate mother of two healthy, happy young women now. Yeah. What, how people cope when perhaps they've got more children or they've got a sick child or a disabled child or they don't have the financial resources that I've always no. been fortunate enough to have. I have absolutely no idea. And I am just, I, I, you just sometimes see, where was I the other day? I was uh, traveling on a train over the weekend and I just saw two or three young women, you know, much younger than me now in their early 30s, yeah. negotiating public transport on a British freezing cold weekend with babies yeah. and toddlers in tow. Oh, God. And you just think, wow, you're you are incredible. And do you know how incredible you are? And has anyone ever told yeah. you? Um, because I was just useless at that sort of thing. So I think my advice would be to anyone who does find themselves in that relatively unusual position of, of being married to a television presenter yeah. when you get divorced, <laughs> is, is just own your own experience. Talk to your mates, you know, talk, that's what they're there for. Yeah. Talk to your friends, confide in your friends. You don't need to have a word with the readers of the Daily Mail. You don't owe them anything. No. There must have been some dark days in the beginning. What was it that pulled you through? Well, a couple of things. Uh, I would say... Most of all, the support of my of my friends. I mean, you really do discover who your friends are. I mean, I was I've just very fortunate to have a really tight circle of friends who I've known in some cases since I was at school. Some I've met at work over the years and some I just know from the children's playground, you know, going back to, to primary school days. And they were all, without exception, amazing. One of my best friends came to spend the night with me before the mm -hmm. night before we knew it was going to be in the papers the next day yeah. which just sounds ridiculous doesn't it I mean who cares about these two numpties getting divorced but anyway we, we knew it was going to be in the papers or I knew yeah. and it wasn't a time when I would have wanted to be on my own and I wasn't because someone said right I'm coming in the car and you know I'll be there in an hour and the second thing was probably just a realization that although this was going to be hard and I might find aspects of it difficult my children only had one childhood and this yeah. was it. And I could either make it really quite good because, you know, I, I'm a healthy person. I've got resources. We live in a nice house. Or I could spend the next 10 to 15 years carping and moaning. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it, why would you do that when you didn't have to? And yeah when there hadn't been any terrible events in the, in the marriage that meant that I couldn't be perfectly civil and now perfectly friendly to my, to my ex-husband. You know, there's, yeah. 
and you do have to dig you have to dig deep to find those resources certainly at the beginning yes. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, yeah. a lot, I mean, loads of people, men and women, will be able to to recognise that those moments where you just think, "Oh, you're absolutely yep, livid," yeah, uh, and your nerve endings are shredded. But don't give in. You know, go and kick a football or or punch some a set of towels or, or something. Eat a bowl of chili nuts or... or eat a load of nuts. Yes, or your own body weight <laughs> in IKEA chocolate, whatever it is, or ring a friend, but don't. Don't badmouth yeah. anybody um, in front of the children when you really don't need to. That's absolutely disastrous. I think I must have read it, actually, or did someone say it to me? But every time, if you are tempted to criticise your ex-partner for whatever reason, you'll always... And don't ever do it in front of the children because you're talking about half of them every time you do it. And yeah. it's... You just... I know it's tempting. I really do. But if you can possibly avoid it, try. Yeah. It's so important, isn't it? Now, I've, I've kind of noticed in the media, the men always seem to be portrayed as the bad guys, don't they? Why do you think men get treated differently after a divorce to women? Um, I don't know whether they're always, because I don't even know whether statistically it's true that do more men than women instigate divorce? I think it might be the other way around. I think you're probably right, but men often seem to be blamed. You know, they're the one that had an affair. They're, they're the one who was at fault and the women are the well, suffering ex-partners. Yes, I mean, I think... Well, it's a trap that we probably shouldn't fall into. I think everyone everyone in a divorce suffers to an extent because everyone has big adjustments to make. And I'm sure it, you know, it's probably just as hard on men. I think particularly men when they leave the family home or feel they have to leave the family home. That's a, a massive adjustment. And yeah. I, I just I can't really imagine what that must be like. I think too, I think a lot of dads perhaps who haven't done huge amounts of childcare because of work commitments or whatever else the reason might be might well find themselves doing rather more of it than they were used to yeah. um, and that can be a big adjustment too but I think you've just got to be real I mean I certainly don't think that women are always blameless and men are always terrible I, I think it's just you know anyone who's ever been in a relationship of any kind knows that's that's just not true now, I know I was terrified of meeting my husband's ex-wife, but also really curious to see just how similar we were. Let's just say Dermot has a type, but now we <laughs> get on really well. Do you think you'd have stayed in touch with Adrian if you didn't have children? Honestly, never thought about it. I probably would. I don't see how you can be with someone for quite some time and, and to have families intertwined to a degree and not be interested in, in them ever again unless something yeah. absolutely dreadful had happened in which case that's that's very different if you have children you've got well you should never have children with someone you don't think you can have a relationship with should you ever part I don't think <laughs> which is yeah one way a slightly awkward way of phrasing it but I think because so many relationships do end it probably isn't a bad question to ask yourself I know it's not very romantic but maybe you should say to yourself okay let's say something really you know something unforeseen happens and we do break up would yeah. I still be able to talk to this person if we've had children because you've just got to you know you've, just, you've got no idea what lies ahead for you or your or your offspring I think it's just divorce is just normal it's nothing to be ashamed of anymore is it how do we kind of change that stigma and just make it seem part of normal life well I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to write a chapter about divorce in in the book that I did with Fee because you're right, it's an incredibly normal experience. But 
the only divorces that are talked about it are the most toxic and the most terrible. And they are in the minority, thank goodness. Most divorces just happen when you get two people who have reached the end of the road for a a multitude of perfectly understandable reasons and simply know that they would both be happier apart rather than together. And it shouldn't in any way be a stigma, but I think I think it sort of still is. I, and I don't, mm. but maybe I'm imagining this. Even now, I don't know that many people who are divorced. I've got one friend who's, who's divorced in our kind of friendship circle. We are the yeah. only two who are. So I'm just trying to think. Yeah, so actually in my social circle, it is relatively rare, in fact. Yeah. But I think my friends are starting to get divorced now in their late 40s. And I just wonder... Do you think it depends how early you meet the one as to how long you stay together? Because I was a very different person in my early 20s compared right. to my 30s when I met my husband. Yeah, I can't. Because you change so much. Well, don't you, you do, but I don't really help that theory because I didn't get married till I was 34. Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> so I've totally destroyed your theory, I'm afraid. I think I know some people who met in their early 20s and are still fantastically happy many, many, many years later. I think. Yeah. I was talking about this the other day at, uh, where was it? Fee and I have got this kind of, at the moment, this dizzying publicity schedule. So we honestly can't remember where we've been and where we are. But we were, I think we're at Hay. We were at the Hay Festival on Saturday night. And I was just talking about compromises and about... What's that? well, exactly. We compromise in a marriage? I had no, well, I had no idea. Or did I? I'm, maybe I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to suggest that I might have made more compromises than my former husband. Okay. <laughs> this is all such a long time ago, though, so I can't really remember. Yeah. But I think people who are in successful decades-long relationships, and you, it can be two women, it can be two men, it can be a woman and a man, whatever it is, yeah. I, I don't think you understand the degree to which you are making compromises, big and small, every single day. And I've been single now for ages, and I have to say there's a massive part of me that really likes it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, by the way, because sometimes I think, oh, I wish this wasn't the case. But I am, I don't think I'm very good at compromising. And I think I've just learned to enjoy my absolute, my selfish freedom, if you like, a bit too much. I don't know. No, I get that. I found it really hard because I've been single for 10 years and suddenly sharing my life with another person and having to listen to their radio station. And (laughs) yes, yes. Is it quite nice developing new traditions around things like Christmas and birthdays and being able to do what you want rather than what you did with someone else? Um, Actually, because um, our girls were very young when we got divorced, we we did have Christmas together for a long time. And actually, of course, last Christmas didn't happen at all. But he'd always always come round on Christmas morning anyway and uh, and that sort of thing. So, you know, we have done quite a lot of that over the years and our two sets of parents are on genial terms you know talk to each other that's nice and would spend I mean we when everybody was um well pre-pandemic you know everybody that all the grandparents would get together on boxing day in our house my house and um you know I love that and I mean I obviously I complained bitterly about having to do it but (laughs) I actually did love it and yeah it was one of those things that the children will never I mean I don't think they realize how lucky they are to have had that sort of situation where they could sit around in a house with all four of their grandparents on boxing day and it's it's a really simple thing but it's a really nice thing so 
I think you just have to, you have to find a way of making it work. When you've got children, you really do. You're the adult. You've just got to behave like one. It's, I'm sorry, I, it's, exactly. I, I, sound, I sound rather brisk and hearty about that. But, but I, I think you're right. There's a bit of just, you have responsibilities. You can't run away from them, can you? No, and you've just got to, it's going back to what I said at the beginning, it's their childhood, make it as happy or as contented or as incident-free or as stress and as tension-free as you can. And, you know, yeah. I've got no excuses. I am healthy. I have got resources. The house is warm. You know, I've got a job I love. So I don't think I could possibly have got away with behaving badly. If you see, yeah. if you see Not for long. Mean. Not for very <laughs> yes. long. No, no. Now, you've got two daughters. Let's change tack a bit. You've spent your career empowering women and getting their voices heard. And I was wondering, was financial independence a key factor for making that happen? Um, financial, gosh, that's a good question. I'm very proud of the fact that I am completely financially independent. and um, But I've also been... You've got to be a bit careful about using the word lucky, haven't you? Yeah. If you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I might have gone on about how lucky I'd been in my career. And I think women of all ages, but particularly, so I'm now 57, women yeah. of, of my age have perhaps been a little too eager to go on about how lucky we've been in our working lives. And I think we need to start owning perhaps the fact that we've been quite good at what we do, which is and why- bloody hard. Yeah, and have worked hard. But the reason we're still in work is that people want to employ us because yeah. in my case, I can bring in listeners to a podcast or Fee and I can, we found an audience and um, we've kept it. And if, yeah. we, if we hadn't found that audience or we hadn't kept it, we wouldn't still be doing it. So yes, um, we're not, it, you know, it's the BBC are not employing us as an act of charity. No. And so I think my girls do know that I wouldn't expect either of them to, to believe they could ever depend on someone else financially, Yeah, that they are going to have to earn their own living. And, and actually, I think financial education, I know there are lots of people in Britain now who feel very strongly about this. Martin Lewis, I know, is one. Mm. I just wish every single person in British schooling was taught about the importance of understanding how much you earn, tax, pensions, PAYE, VAT, all of these things that just... I had no idea. No. And I made so many mistakes. I went off to uni having never had to budget before, no idea about savings, nothing. And it's it's just crazy, isn't it? We don't teach people how to live. No. And no, we don't. And we absolutely should. And I just think so many of us are so loath to ask the question, what does that mean? When something... Yes. Because it's all <laughs> heavily jargonized as well, isn't it? Oh, completely. Yeah. So given the gender pay gap, how can we help women know their value? And especially when often your counterparts' men's salaries contracts are kept behind closed doors. Yeah. It's a, do you know, I mean, we've made some inroads into changing the situation at the BBC. But, and um, I, I should say, I'm not on the staff of the BBC anymore. So I work for them, but I work for other people too. I'm not as much in the loop as I was um, when I was a, a full-time employee. But what we did in terms of BBC women and drawing attention to uh, the gender pay gap was attract publicity to an issue that, although it was always important, 
had not got the attention it deserved because there'd been some very important cases. I think Birmingham City Council was one. Mm. Glasgow City Council was another. But the plain fact was that female broadcasters could attract more attention to, to the cause. And I think a lot of people inside and outside the BBC were horrified that a bunch of, let's face it, privileged, well-educated women were yeah. also victims of this. As as well as women much much less privileged than ourselves, and I think that was it. Felt like a real body blow because I I suspect rather arrogantly, we probably suspect well thought that we were fine. Yeah, paid the uh, same. Yeah, well, fine. of yeah. course, you know, because why wouldn't we be? Exactly. So it's yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't. The battle is certainly not won, and there are still some people who deny the problem ever existed. I don't mean in the BBC. I mean elsewhere. I mean, to be fair to the BBC, they they've definitely made strides to improve things, and the conversation has been opened up now. You know, it's it's out of the box, and it's not going back in the box. So, I think that's been really healthy. And of course, there are huge problems with the gender pay gap in lots of other media organisations too and in in the NHS. Yeah it's surprising how much more men earn than women and part of that's I guess men putting themselves forward for extra jobs and roles whereas women often you're a full-time worker but you're often still the mother the carer you don't have that time to do it but you just feel you're not valued as much. It's almost like you've got to teach girls and young women a certain amount of arrogance. Yes and I think I think little girls have it and then it leaves them somehow. They go to school. Yeah. It's so ironic. Of course, they outperform the boys academically. Yes. But perversely seem to lose confidence the older they get. It makes no sense. And bigger brains than mine definitely need to start <laughs> trying to find out why this happens. But it's it's so odd. And I think I think young women do enter the workplace and... And and then almost begin to start doubting themselves and start being grateful, like I suppose I felt grateful. I couldn't, yeah. I think it depends where you start as well in life. And I'm from a ordinary lower middle class background. No one in the family had been to university before I went. The idea of working for the BBC was oh, just something from another planet. Yeah. So that didn't help in a, in a way because I truly was dazzled at the prospect yeah. of, of working for the BBC, probably for decades. And I think there are a lot of people in the same category as me, actually, who work there and are very proud to work there. I guess trying to fit in and not rock the boat. Now, I know you've said in the past that women haven't celebrated other women's successes enough. Why do you think this is? Going back to our earlier conversation about wanting to read about other women's disasters, I think um, <laughs> it is, it's the great triumph of the patriarchy. They seem to make it possible for us to contentedly and pointlessly bicker amongst ourselves whilst they carry on having it all their own way. I just think, yeah. and if you fall into that trap, oh, and I've fallen into it myself, it's it's pathetic and it just means that nothing is going to change very quickly. And I, I really want us to be in a position where we can just say, wow, uh, she's isn't she brilliant? Let's hold her up as an example. Wish I could be as good as her or I love reading her books or I love listening to her shows. I mean, I was listening. Who was I listening to the other day? Joe Wiley on Radio 2. I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she had a kind of gentle brilliance about her. She's just a great broadcaster. Yeah. And I am very happy to say that. And yeah. But you know what? Ten years ago, I might not have said it. No. And that's wrong. 
it's the fear of competition. I know as a, as a surgical trainee, you are competing with your peers and colleagues to get jobs and you want to hide every little thing you've found so they don't get the job before you, whereas mm-hmm. we should just lift as we climb. Do you think we feel we have to be fully established in our careers before we feel confident enough to praise other women? I think that might be a part of it, definitely. I think women are getting better, much better at holding each other up and supporting each other along the way. I think the generation of female broadcasters ahead of me, so women who are uh, sort of now in their 70s, so I suppose mostly retired, and of course that's quite telling because there are still some male broadcasters in their 80s who are still, yes. still and 90s I think at one point, who are still going. But those older female broadcasters were, I think, less likely to help other women maybe than my own generation because I think they felt threatened and they felt a need to protect their own territory. And I understand that. I I do understand why they did that. But I think, and I've done a bit to help other women, probably nowhere near enough. You've done more than a bit, Jane. Well, I I don't know. Do you know, genuinely, Liz, I don't know about that. I think, um, and I was, because I was always conscious about, one of the things that Fee and I always laugh about is that when we first met, we were Mm -hmm. both working at Five Live and she did uh, the late night show and then the mid morning show and I did breakfast and then I did drive. But I was always a bit suspicious of Fee. Really? Yeah, and it's it's terrible. You know, she was <laughs> she was another witty brunette female broadcaster. And mm-hmm. and I suppose I just thought, Oh, oh, there's another there's someone she's a bit like me, isn't she? Yeah. And and I guess that's terrible, isn't it? But I suppose I probably was. I mean, we weren't friends at that point, and I, and I honestly don't think I would have made much of an effort to be her friend, which is completely yes. ridiculous. Was she competition for the next show you wanted to do, I guess? I suppose it's... so, yeah. Yeah, that's probably what it was. And talking about old, the, the older men that we still see, I mean, Jon Snow's retiring now, and how old is he? He's in his <laughs> 20s, isn't he? Do you think well, women, the women are persuaded to retire earlier than men because they don't think the public would want to listen or watch them on TV or radio? God, I don't know. I'm a bit, I should say, I'm a big fan of Jon Snow. I like a bit oh, of Oh, he's John. amazing. I love um, John. I, um, in fact, I round off my day with a bit of Jon Snow at seven o'clock, and I'm going to miss him. I really am. I will. And his um, socks and his ties. He just everything. dresses. Yeah. Oh. Do you know what? No, I would say about John, he's a, a kind and supportive person in the sense that I've had, I've had emails from him over the years just saying, oh, I, I enjoyed that and that was good. And, you know, that that says a lot about somebody that they're prepared to email somebody they don't know just saying, you know, I heard that programme today. Or So I think that's great. So yeah. um, I don't want to pick on him specifically. I know you don't either. But I think hopefully my generation of female broadcasters and those younger than me will still be presenting the Today programme in their 70s like John Humphreys was. Yeah. Um, you know, if Michelle Hussain isn't allowed to present today when she's in her 70s, then something has gone wrong. Oh, completely. I mean, by the way, whether or not she'd want to do it. I mean, she's, I don't think she's not even 50, so um, who knows? But she should be given the opportunity to. And it is incredible, but I do know that it was, I think it was John Burt, the BBC Director General, mm-hmm who told Angela Rippon that when she was 50, it was, you know, time to slide off. It's incredible, isn't it? But So you're now in the second or is it the third or the fourth act of your career? Podcast <laughs> author. Yes. How yeah. easy or realistic is it for women to start again or try something completely different or recharge their lives yes. in their 50s? I think 
If you have children, I guess a lot of it depends on the age at which you had your children. So, you know, I was I had my youngest daughter when I was nearly 39. So I did leave mm-hmm. it really late. So I think my reboot and different tack, if you like, has happened probably a decade later than a lot of other women would have been, if you like, free to do it. So mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. I mean, I left Woman's Hour when my at the point at which my youngest daughter was leaving school. Right. And she had started school when I started Woman's Hour. So that's how long I was on the programme. It took me through yeah. her entire career from reception to the upper six. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but at the end of that time, I did think, I, I've, you know, I've simply done this job too long. And I'd begun to sound like I was, I'd done it too long. I do sometimes get a bit frustrated with broadcasters who, you know, do shows, whether it's on television or radio, for 20, 25 years. I mean, you do think... Or yeah. I think, come on, not just haven't you done this long enough, you're sounding a bit like you're going through the motions, because you can sometimes hear that. But also give the younger generation a chance, you know, let them yeah. have those opportunities. Because all radio programmes need to reboot and refresh, and so, so does telly. Yeah, it's a fine balance, isn't it, of wanting to carry on something you're very good at and then letting other people take over, thinking they might do it better than you. Well, I mean, they can. You know, I mean, that's the thing. You, it's another thing that broadcasters are no good at is acknowledging other people's skill sets. And Emma <laughs> Barnett is a better interviewer of a politician than I am. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah. So you, and it's OK to say that, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, just I mean, I, I'd like to say I'm sure my Victoria sponges are better than hers. I don't know. I haven't. She's never made me a cake. <laughs> uh, but, Emma, if you're listening. Yes. Make me a cake. Um, but I do think I'm making it sound as though I find change easy, which I don't. I absolutely agonised about giving up the woman's hour job. Yeah. Partly because I am resistant to change in any form it might come. Also because I enjoyed the challenge. It was always a little bit different every single day. I like my colleagues. And I was just in a great rhythm, a very predictable rhythm. Yeah. I got paid every month on the same day. I knew what I was getting. I knew which days I was working. I could have so many weeks off at Christmas, so many weeks off in the yeah. summer. You know what I mean? It was all great. Yeah, nice, comfortable, predictable. All yeah. very comfortable. And very little was actually expected of me in terms of anything technical. It was all done for me, really. And I was a bit pathetic in that respect. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And of course, actually, I carried on working and going into work until I stopped in on New Year's Eve last year. So I was working in central London for nine months of the of the pandemic in, in 2020, which mm-hmm. was really odd at times and, and quite frightening, frankly, at times, as I'm sure you would know. It's, yeah. You know, anyone who's had a proper job and you've got a proper job knows that yeah. um, this has been a the very... The reality. Yeah, yeah. It's been a very discombobulating time of all our lives. And we went from a sort of bustling, busy office with lots of people shouting and arguing of about 15 to 20 people to two of us and an engineer. And it was really quite scary. But we were told, you know, it's up to you to sound like you've got to keep Radio 4 going. We've all got to keep it going. We don't want no people pressure. to panic. No, I'm not, sorry, not down to me, but you know what I mean. The, the, no, I know what you mean, yeah. The yeah. network. People ha- need to hear you, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they need to hear a normal thing. They need to hear something yeah. like everything is normal. So we did We did do that. And it felt like a really big thing to, to give up when the time came to do it for the last time, which was on, weirdly, New Year's Eve last year. But 
you know, I got some very nice messages from people and it was all very lovely. And then, you know, the show was on three days later and, you know, it's just carried on. Yeah. And you've just got to understand your your place in the in the entertainment universe you know just I guess yeah what I would say is that I was scared I was really scared that nobody would want to employ me to do anything and I think a lot of women in their late 50s would have had the same same thoughts yeah and what's actually happened is that I have done the classic thing of someone who's relatively newly freelance if you like I've just said yes yep. to too many things so and then you realize you've got too much on and you think oh yes. god when am I have time for me yeah so that it's been a bit of a hard working year and I speak as someone who probably is has been a stranger to hard work for too long <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have worked hard Fee and I wrote the book in the first three months of the year and then gosh that's quick well it's right we were doing it together though so that was brilliant yeah uh, really helped to, to have each other to bounce off. So it was pleasurable, actually, as much as anything. And of course, it was lockdown anyway. So there wasn't there was a limit to what we could be doing. And I've just started doing other bits and pieces, working for the Radio Times quite a bit, writing for them and doing their podcast as well. And um, I also actually work for the NHS. I've got a non-executive role at a hospital trust. So, oh, fantastic. But I, I would say to anyone who's worried about making the change, any kind of work change, the worry is worse than the reality. But if I could say anything, it would be learn to say no as well as yes, because I think... Oh, well, definitely. Will you yeah. teach me how to do that, please? <laughs> yes, I'll try, Liz. I will try. <laughs> but you talked about change. I hate change too. And I have a little question. Do you update your phone with the new software? Because I won't, because I hate it. My husband will do it in the middle of the night, because I will not. He'll do it in the middle of the night? Because he knows I should. He'll get oh, so... my phone and he'll update oh, it when he... I don't know, because Ooh. I don't like the change. I know. He does it for you. He does it for me because I won't, because I don't like how things look, because it's all different. Do you know, funny or am enough, I just weird? I think that's, <laughs> well, I mean, listen, nobody is more weird than me. So um, I, <laughs> I doubt you're any weirder than I am. I refuse to believe it. I, oh gosh, I think there was an update recently which changed the look of my email and took me by surprise. Yeah. Was that the same one? I think I, so, yes. Yeah, I mean, the amount of tech stuff I have learned or had to learn over the last year and a bit is just off the scale. And I am now much more accomplished, but it was starting from an incredibly low base, yeah. I've got to say. Also, I've been guilty in the past of just getting the kids to do things for me. Um, I don't have that. Well, you're, you've missed out in that respect because having a couple of computer support operatives in the house, not, by the way, that they are very happy to do it, I should say. No. And one has very selfishly gone to university, so I can't... How dare she? I know, the audacity of it. Fixing um, things via Zoom. Yeah, quite. Yeah, so there's been a bit of that. But no, I, 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 um, I think, again, that's the whole Luddite thing. We've got to accept now that computers really are a thing. Um, yeah. They're not going away, are they? really weird not at all no so here's a question what's next for Jane Garvey I'm desperately hoping that it's fortunately the film and that Olivia Coleman will play you please tell me I'm right (laughs) just actually funny enough I've just been watching Olivia Coleman in this great new thing she's doing called Landscapers which starts next I think it's next week on Sky Atlantic I'm not here to Mm -hmm. big big up this but it is very good I don't think Olivia Coleman would play me I think I've always said I want Julie Walters to play me Um, oh good call that would be great and I think who does Fee want I think she wants probably Glenda Jackson or Glenda could play me as well actually she could do both couldn't she yes she could she could do both 
I am not entirely sure. I think hopefully, well, the paperback edition of Did I Say That Out Loud comes out next spring and we'll probably write a bit more for the paperback. I know we're both quite keen to do that. And actually, I was thinking of writing a chapter about change and how to make it because I do find it I find it so difficult. I really do need to work, but not quite as hard next year, I think. Yeah. Give yourself a bit of a break. You've done a lot this year. Well, I think we all have. Yeah, we have. And I should also say that I've I've not had covid. I've been, you know, fingers crossed. I have my immediate family have been so fortunate. So, I'm I need to feel extraordinarily grateful about that as well. Oh, definitely. Now, finally I want to talk about joy. You once tweeted that chips being served at a press event should become the norm. <laughs> what what do we all need more of in our lives? Do you know what? I think what we all need more of is a capacity for contentment. And I know not everybody has a capacity for contentment because <laughs> there's an awful lot of people who, and it's through no fault of their own, it's just their, their psychological makeup. They, they pursue happiness. And I think you're on a hiding to nothing doing that. Yeah. I honestly think if you can just learn to, so for example, I'll be absolutely honest with you, after this, I intend, I've got something to do, something worky Mm -hmm. thing to do, and then I am going to make myself a cup of tea, sit down with my new Ken Follett book, and just spend an hour or two in the company of Ken Follett's slightly apocalyptic new novel. (laughs) Just, (laughs) and... I can't pass on my capacity for contentment to other people. I'm really, I know this. I know not everybody has that. And some people, psychologically, that wouldn't please them or they're not as easily pleased as I am. But for me, the glass is always... I'm just very... I am very fortunate. The glass is half full, always. And Which isn't to say I'm never miserable, because I can be, but I can always just flick it away. Yeah, and I and I wish I could pass that on because I know not everybody has it, and it's no. such a comfort to have it if if you ha- if you can have it. It's learning to be happy with what you have because otherwise you're always searching for something that's out of reach, aren't you? Well, I think particularly I notice it with younger people today that, but they are growing up in such a different world. You know, I mean, I, Fee and I were talking I think only yesterday about the sheer joy in our adolescence of. You'd spend a whole day wondering which single you were going to buy at the record shop. Oh, yes. You know? And then you'd go and you're younger than me, Liz. But then you'd you'd go and you'd flick through the rails and you'd find it and then you'd choose the coloured vinyl or or the cover you wanted and then you'd go home and play it thirty seven times on the run and your mum would shout at you and it <laughs> it was a whole day, whereas now, you know, I feel sorry for them. They can just stream everything. Yeah. Everything's there. There's no anticipation and I just think some of that simplicity is gone and I and I just don't think it's making people any happier before you go I talked about my jar of joy with you when I was on women's hour last Christmas and I've started a jar for the podcast (laughs) could you share with the listeners one thing that's made you smile in the last couple of days oh I think it's the fact that we couldn't work out why our cat was getting so fat and mm-hmm. then it turned out that she was actually sneaking in to the cupboard where we keep the cat food and had bitten her way through the packaging and was supplementing um, her quite... Because um, we were sort of weighing up the kibble, you know, whatever uh-huh, it's called. Yeah. And we were weighing it out very, very carefully because she is, 
you know, I'm going to say she is quite a lazy cat. So she's going yes. to put weight on. Anyway, that's so we've discovered. And it was just something about her sheepish <laughs> expression when I went in and I've taken the food somewhere else now and put it away where a place where she Aww. can't find. I feel terrible, but... But she was, you know, she's still pathetically going into the cupboard looking for it. Just in case. Well, she's not the sharpest knife in the cat drawer, I'm afraid. Oh, bless her. Very sweet, but a bit, but a little oh. bit dim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that, she said hastily. Not at all. <laughs> no. Not at all. Oh, that's definitely going in the jar. Thank you so much, Jane, for talking to me today. It's been fantastic to have you as a guest. Oh, it's a great pleasure, Liz. Thank you very much. And I think it's okay to say Happy Christmas, isn't it? I know at this stage we don't quite know what Christmas is going to entail, but no. I hope it's as good as it can be for everybody. That's a great message. Thanks a lot. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Don't Ignore the Elephant. Isn't Jane just the voice of common sense? I love that she's so honest about her fascination with celebrities when she's in the public eye herself. Like her, I finally realised that the women I worked with need to be celebrated and supported instead of seeing them as competition. My challenge to you is to tell someone you work with or admire how wonderful they are. Let me know what happens. Jane's podcast, recorded with Fee Glover, is called Fortunately. It's one of the few things that kept me going through lockdown and it's definitely worth a listen. Their new book, Did I Say That Out Loud, made me laugh out loud. It was like someone had got inside my head and was spilling the beans on all the stuff I've been too embarrassed to talk about. As ever, I've had lovely feedback from Davinia Tomlinson's episode all about money. Wellies and Seaweed on Twitter found it really helpful and wished this sort of information had been around when she was younger. Another listener said that she would be passing on the advice to her 20-year-old daughter to help her with pensions and savings. And the jar of joy is almost full. This week, one listener said that she was brave enough to let her psychiatrist refer her for psychotherapy. I really hope it goes well for you. Trisha said that her husband did a foot treatment on her. I am really jealous, Trisha. Does he travel? And Jude said that one of her clients gave her a Christmas card and it's the first one she's ever got from a client. And finally, Katie said that she was able to join in playing netball with the Year 7 pupils after having surgery in the summer. I can't believe that we've come to the end of season one. Thank you so much for listening and all your lovely comments. It's been wonderful hearing about how I've been able to help you talk about your own elephants. Keep your jar of joy entries coming and let me know what topics you'd like me to discuss in season two. If you listen on iTunes and have a few seconds spare in your day, could you leave a review and let me know what you thought? It helps other people find us so I can help them start talking about their elephants in the room. Thank you so much for listening and see you next year for season two. Don't Ignore the Elephant is produced by Birdline Media in association with Elizabeth Richards.